Well, this morning we considered justification, God's act of declaring sinners innocent because of what Jesus has done, God's act of declaring sinners innocent, and I hope you recall that facial expression on O.J. Simpson when he was declared not guilty, although in my opinion he was guilty. I hope you'll never get over being declared acquitted by the courtroom of heaven because of Jesus. This morning, justification explained in Romans 3, 21 to 31 this evening. Justification illustrated, I'm a bit of a golfer. I'm a lousy golfer, so it boosts my prayer life. But the golf swing is a many-splendor thing because it's complex and yet simple at the same time. And the truth is about a golf swing is that it is largely the opposite of what you would think to have a good golf swing. And so if you take the club and you address the ball and you want to see the ball go up, you must keep your head down. If you want the ball to loft high to the green, you must hit the ball low. If you want to hurry the ball off the tee, you must take the club head back slowly. It's opposite to what you might think. Justification is like a golf swing in that justification is a many-splendored thing. Justification at the same time is complex as well as simple. And the truth about justification is largely the opposite of what we might think left to our own devices. The truth about justification and what is required to have justification is contrary to what we would think up apart from Scripture. And so I start, as it were, figuratively yelling for, because what we're going to learn tonight and see illustrated tonight about justification is like, heads up, something wonderful is going to be presented tonight in God's word, and heads up. Romans 4 is going to convey great truth to us about Righteousness being imparted to us, God acquitting us, God declaring us innocent through Christ. God giving us righteousness of Jesus, imputed righteousness. This is what Romans 4 is all about. God's work of making a believer in his son righteous in the courtroom of heaven. Romans 4 begins by presenting three things which do not contribute to us being justified. And it ends by presenting the one thing which does contribute to God acquitting us and declaring us innocent. And so we have four points tonight. The first three isolate what doesn't work when it comes to justification. And the fourth and last point in the chapter argues the one thing which does trigger God's work of acquitting sinners and declaring us to be righteous, that is right before him. So I want to begin by reading the first eight verses of Romans eight, Romans 4, excuse me. Romans 4, 1 to 8. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. The first point this evening of four is this. Justification is apart from works. Justification is apart from any good works that we could do. And then two illustrations of the fact that justification is apart from works are given in the text. Abraham, the illustration of Abraham verses one to five, and the second illustration that justification is apart from works is David. Verses six through eight. And of course, Abraham and David were heavy hitters 
in the Jewish mind and nation. Abraham and David were big boys that were revered by Jews. Abraham, the nation's forefather. David, the nation's best-loved king. But there's more to see. In Abraham's case, righteousness was credited to him. This is positive divine action. Positive divine action. God in grace giving Abraham something. In David's case, it was slightly different. His unrighteousness was not credited to his account. This was a negative divine action. God didn't do something as he justified a believing David. Together, these cases and illustrations, examples of Abraham and David, together teach that God justifies totally apart from works. We can be relieved that's true. If that was not true, we would be in bondage. We would never know when we had done enough good works. But God justifies us apart from our good works. He credited to Abraham because of Abraham's faith. He did not count against David because of David's faith. God justifies then apart from works. God justifies now apart from works. Now, erroneously, the Jews believed that Abraham actually performed the whole law. That became the oral tradition. Jews came to believe something that wasn't accurate, that Abraham actually performed the whole law of God, the Mosaic law. It wasn't true, but that came to be the oral tradition. They came to believe that Abraham did this in an astounding way. They believed that he performed the whole law before God even gave the law. And because he did fulfill the whole law, they believe, they believed he could somehow pass extra credit onto them as his descendants. Our Lord Jesus addressed that arrogant and nationalistic misunderstanding of justification head-on in Luke 3.8. Listen to what Jesus said about that in Luke 3, verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Jesus Jesus cut at the root of this arrogant and nationalistic thought that Abraham fulfilled a Mosaic law before a Mosaic law was given, and because he fulfilled a Mosaic law before a Mosaic law was given, that he could pass on brownie points to them as Jews, his descendants. Now back to Romans 4. Verses 1 to 5 are screaming something. And this is what they're screaming. If Abraham wasn't justified by his works, and he wasn't, then no other Jew could be or can be justified by their works. Look again at verse 3, would you? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. The word uh, reckoned in some versions and credited in the NASB is the Greek term logizomai. Logizomai, meaning accounting a credit to a ledger account. This week, a nice lady came to the church building to work on our books. She was an accountant, I believe, and I after meeting her and learning why she was at the building, I said, so you're keeping the debits and the credits straight. She's looking at the church's ledgers, ledger books on the computer to see that everything's in balance and above board and in good order. This is saying in verse 3, for what does the scripture say? That's the question we should always ask, by the way. For what does the scripture say? 
And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. Logizomai, it was an accounting credit to a ledger. Abraham's ledger before God was credited with righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. Not because he served God. He trusted God. His faith was in God. He, he left Ur of the Chaldeans as a man in his 80s to go to a destination. God didn't tell him what it was. Just leave. Leave his prosperity. Leave his assets. Leave his kin. He believed God. And he and Sarai started moving to points unknown to them at first. At first. He believed God. And for that reason, Logizomai, God credited to Abraham's account righteousness. He justified Abraham, not based on works that he had done, but based on faith that Abraham had in him. Where I used to live, there was a plumbing company that had a very interesting advertisement. They said on the television that the plumbing company promises to pay the customer $5 for every minute they are late in arriving at the job. They said, if we're late to when we said we come to fix your plumbing problem, we'll pay you $5 for every minute we're late. That's interesting. The plumbing company was saying, we are going to credit $5 per minute late to your account. That's interesting. Verse 3 makes the point that God credited Abraham's account with righteousness based on Abraham's belief in God and not on Abraham's religious performance. So much for the thought that Abraham perfectly kept the Mosaic law, which was not yet given when he lived, and because he perfectly kept the Mosaic law that was not yet given as he lived, that somehow he could give religious brownie points to his descendants, the Jews. So much for that. Justification is apart from our works. It was for Abraham, and it is for you. Now, of course, when God credits the believing sinner with righteousness, God is granting the believing sinner grace. We sang of grace, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How can my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Hope you never get over grace on planet earth because you'll never get over grace in eternity in heaven. Grace, as I mentioned this morning, is us getting the positive from God which we don't deserve. G, God's, R, riches, A, at, Christ's, C, expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. That's justification. God's riches at Christ's expense. Remember I said that Joanna, when she was a little girl, asked, what is a gift certificate? It was hard to explain for a little child's level. Finally, I came up with you getting, every, you getting everything that somebody else paid for. That's grace. And justification is apart from our works. It was for Abraham, it is for the Jews, it is for us Gentiles. It's apart from works. And now we move from the illustration of this in Abraham, the, the father of the Jews, to the favorite king of the Jews, uh, King David, verses 6 to 8 again. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. So justification is not only being given the positive of Christ's righteousness, it's also being not given the consequences of our sins. It's the mercy of God, not giving us the bad that we deserve. The verses that are read in my Bible, they're capitalized to show me that it's an Old Testament quote. The verses quoted here are Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. And these Old Testament verses give us the other side of justification, as I just mentioned. The first side of justification's coin is the crediting of righteousness by faith. 
And here is the second side of justification, same coin. It's the non-crediting of unrighteousness for one's sin. God is free to be merciful to sinners for a reason. God is free to be merciful to us sinners because his son's life, death, and shed blood, as the Wallaces sang about in their song. God is free to be merciful because his son's life and death and shed blood dealt with our sins. God is holy. He can't just wink at sin. That's not a biggie. God is just. God's holiness and God's justice would be meaningless if he could be trivial about sin. But Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he made it white as snow. Jesus. Grace is God giving us the good we don't deserve, Christ's righteousness. Mercy is God not giving us the negative which we do deserve as filthy sinners. Now in looking at verses 6 to 8, we see three ways of depicting God's amazing mercy. Number one, lawless deeds forgiven. I see that in the first part of verse 7. Number two, sins covered. I see that in the second part of verse 7. And number three, sin will not take into account, verse 8. These are three ways that the text tells us that God has demonstrated in justification his mercy to the believer. Our lawless deeds are forgiven, 7a. Our sins are covered, 7b. And he will not take into account our sin. That's verse 8. So positively or negatively, justification is apart from good works. Don't miss this. Justification, being acquitted, being declared righteous and innocent in the courtroom of heaven, justification is apart from good works. We can't earn justification. Due to grace and due to mercy, justification is apart from our good works. Aren't we glad? Aren't we blessed? So let me ask you, if you're glad and blessed that your justification is apart from your works, are you vocal? We better be vocal. There's a world out there who, when they do think of God, think that he wants them to earn their way to heaven. They tell us all the time when we ask them, if God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? They tell us all the time. I've heard it all the time, wherever I've pastored. When I say, if God should ask you, why should he let you into his heaven? They say, because I hope my good outweighs my bad. How could a person know? Roman Catholics try to solve that dilemma by inventing purgatory. But the good news, the hopeful news, is that justification is apart from good works. It's due entirely to God's grace and God's mercy and due to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Let's be vocal. Let's not make this a holy hoarding of justification. Now let's move on to the second point. Justification is not only apart from work. Secondly, justification is apart from religious rituals. Justification is apart from religious rituals. Never underestimate the religious bent of people who don't understand justification biblically. Never underestimate their ability to create religious rituals. But justification is apart from religious rituals. See this in verses 9 to 12, please. In this, is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe. 
without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. 12. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Of course, the special sign that God dictated and provided for the covenant that he entered into with his nation Israel was a rite that was performed on baby Jewish boys that is called circumcision. And verse 9 opens with the words, is this blessing? We must ask, what blessing? Well, the preceding context tells us, the verses leading up to the first part of verse 9 tell us us what the blessing is in view here. And the blessing is this, the fact that justification is apart from works. The justification is via God crediting believing Jews the good and God not crediting believing Jews the bad. And the penetrating question of the rest of verse 9 is essentially this. The penetrating question with respect to the rest of verse 9 is this. Who gets this justification blessing? Only the Jews or the Jews and the Gentiles also? That's the burning question. Who gets the blessing of justification? Only Jews or Jews and Gentiles? That's the burning question. And from this question, in verse 9, another important question arises in verse 10. And it's this. When did Abram receive justification, righteousness from God? Precisely when, in Abraham's timeline, did he receive justification blessing from God? Let's get more specific. Was it before his circumcision or was it after his circumcision. This is important. It was after. Excuse me, it was before. Pardon me. He received justification blessing before he underwent the rite of circumcision. Before. The last part of verse 10 is blunt. How then is, was it reckoned? Well, he was circumcised or uncircumcised. Watch this. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Abraham was justified, if you hold your place in Romans 4 and go to Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. We read this. Referring to Abram, Genesis 15, 6. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay, that's Genesis 15, 6. Yet Abraham was not circumcised until Genesis 17, 24. Go there. Genesis 17, 24. Genesis 17, 24. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. There was 14 years between Genesis 15, 6, declaring that God justified Abraham. 14 years later, Abraham was circumcised in Genesis 17:24. 14 years between the justification of a believing Abraham and the circumcision of the same man. Now Abram, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. This is important. This cuts across Jewish pride. And when you connect the dots, Abraham was justified by God totally apart from the religious ritual of circumcision. So are we. We are justified by God totally apart from any religious ritual we could do. We are justified before God before we are water baptized as believers, at least we should be. 
And we are justified before we take communion for the first time as a born-again believer. And as circumcision was an outer sign of an already completed reality of justification for believing Jews, so believers' baptism and communion are also to be outer signs of already completed justification of believers, be they Jew or Gentile, in this church age. Jesus only left us two ordinances. Believers' baptism, to make visible what has happened to us invisibly in salvation, buried with him through baptism into death, raised to walk in newness of life, and the Lord's Supper. Monthly we come to the table to remember the cost of our salvation, to remember the sinless life of Jesus in the bread and the atoning shed blood of Jesus in the cup. People aren't to participate in these two ordinances until they're already justified by faith in Christ. As circumcision is powerless to save, so water baptism and communion are powerless to save. And as circumcision was a confirmation of the old covenant, so water baptism and communion are confirmations of a new covenant. More specifically, Water baptism is the sign of a changed status, and communion is the sign of a changed relationship. And all of this argues that our wonderful Father God justifies believers, be they Jew or Gentile, apart from religious rituals. By the way, happy to announce that there are three waiting to be water baptized, and we're trusting the Lord to repair our baptistry, so that we can baptize them right here in this sanctuary uh, for maximum uh, witness and encouragement. We've got some quotes coming to fix the baptistry, and I'm excited to see that those first three and others water baptized soon. Now, I encourage you to watch this. Abraham is the spiritual father of all who believe not of all who are circumcised. Let me illustrate. Like some with wedding rings are not married. I heard of some woman who wore a wedding ring to keep guys away from dating her when she was single. Like some with wedding rings are not married, some who are circumcised are not right with God. Let me say that again. Like some with wedding rings are not married, some who are circumcised are not right with God. And like some without wedding rings turn out to actually be married, some who are not circumcised are in fact right with God through Christ. You see, the ring isn't the reality, and the religious ritual isn't the reality either. You see, the reality is bigger than the marriage ring. Salvation and justification are way bigger than circumcision or believer's baptism or the Lord's Supper. And so, so far we're seeing that justification is not only apart from our works and apart from our religious rituals, but third point in your outlines, justification is also apart from law-keeping. Justification is apart from law-keeping. Verses 13 to 17. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, In the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Oh yes, justification is apart from law keeping. And these verses 13 to 17 present four wonderful things about God's justification of sinners. You ready? Going to go through them fast. 
Number one, the promises of justification. The promises of justification are three in in the New Testament. The promises of justification. Number one, Abraham would be the world's father and the world's means of blessing. The promise that Abraham would be the world's father is in Genesis 17, 4 to 6, if you're taking notes. And the promise that Abraham would also be the world's means of blessing is Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Promise three tied into justi- or promise two tied into justification. Christ to be the world's redeemer. The promise was made that Jesus Christ would be the world's only redeemer. That's in Galatians 3.16. Third promise tied into justification. Justification to be possible. God promised that justification would be possible. We see that in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the first point here is that there are promises attendant to justification, and there are three. Abraham would be the world's father and the world's means of blessing. Second, Christ would be the world's redeemer. And third, justification is possible. Now, from the promises of justification, we go to the basis of justification. And we talked about that this morning. The basis of justification is faith, not law-keeping. The basis of you being declared and acquitted, declared righteous and acquitted before God in the courtrooms of heaven is not based on you keeping the law because you can't. He who transgresses is one point of the law, transgresses in all of the law, right? The basis of your justification is faith, not law-keeping. The basis of justification is faith, not law-keeping. Genesis 15, 6 says that. The promises of justification, we've seen those. The basis of justification, now let's go to the third point. The answer to why law-keeping doesn't justify sinners. Why is it that law-keeping does not justify sinners? Well, because faith would be useless. If law-keeping could justify you, then your faith would be useless. And justification would be impossible. If law-keeping led to justification, then none of us would get justified. Since no one keeps 100% of God's law 100% of the time. No one, except Jesus. We see this in verses 14 and 15 of Romans 4. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. What are we seeing? To recap, the promises of justification, Abram would be the world's father. He would be the means of blessing. Christ to be the world's redeemer. Justification to be possible. That's the promises of justification. The basis of justification is faith in the finished work of Christ. Why? Law-keeping doesn't justify because it would make faith useless, and no one would get justified if it was based on our keeping of the law. Fourth, the answer to why faith does justify sinners. Why does faith justify sinners? Simple, to be consistent with grace. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 4. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. You are justified, declared innocent in the courtroom of heaven as you trust Christ because it's consistent with grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Why? So that no one would boast. There'll be no boasting in heaven. We will just be recipients of grace. We will praise the Father, praise the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit forever for God's grace. What's the answer to why faith does justify sinners? To be consistent with grace. Second, to ensure the possibility of justification. God's grace is what he is free to do because of Jesus' cross. God's grace is what he's free to lavish upon the believer because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Why does faith justify? To recap, to be consistent with grace, to ensure the possibility of justification. And third, to realize the promise of Abraham's fatherhood to many who would believe of the Gentiles and the Jews. We're almost finished. Romans 4's study on justification being illustrated. The chapter, to recap, the chapter has presented three things that justification is not based on. Justification is apart from works. Justification is apart from religious rituals. And justification is apart from law-keeping. Justification is apart from works, apart from religious rituals, and apart from law-keeping. So what in the world is justification based on then? Our fourth and final point, Justification is based on faith alone. The reformers who protested Roman Catholicism in the 1500s, Luther being the chief spokesman, Christ alone, grace alone, scripture alone, faith alone. Justification is based on faith alone. I'm going to read verses 18 to 25 to close out chapter 4. In hope against hope he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had, he had spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith giving glory to God. And he, and being fully assured of what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now not for his sake only it was written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead He who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. There in verse 25, I hit on that this morning. Jesus Christ was delivered up to the cross because we're sinners. We're transgressors. If we were not transgressors, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. Second part of that verse is Jesus Christ was bodily resurrected from the dead because his Payment for sin was satisfactory and the basis of God justifying the believer in him. If we could not be justified by the finished work of Christ, believing in Jesus, God the Father would never have raised him from the dead. But God the Father raised him from the dead to show that his payment for our sin was a full satisfactory atoning payment, a propitiation for your sins and mine. That's stunning. And gorgeous. Two things I want to show you in these verses. Number one, faith's object. That's verses 18 to 21. Faith's object. Watch it. God, God's promise, and God's power. Abraham was justified because he had his faith in God, in God's promise and in God's power. Abraham was justified because he had faith in God, God's promise to make him a nation out of union with his wife when her womb was medically dead, and Abraham's faith in God's power to do whatever God decided to do. Is that your faith? Is your faith in God tonight? Is your faith in God's promises? Is your faith in God's power? If there is no God, faith is useless. If God breaks even one of his promises made, faith is futile. If God is not all the power that there is, faith is meaningless. Let me say that again. If there's no God, faith is useless. If God breaks even one of his promises made, faith is futile. And if God does not have all the power that there is, faith is meaningless. See verse 18's opening words? In hope against all hope, he believed. In hope against all hope, he believed. What does that mean? 
In hope against all hope, he believed. It means this. Abraham took confidence in God's promise of a biological child against all human hope for that child. Abraham set aside physiology, biology, and he chose to take confidence in God's promise of a biological child against all human hope for that child. And yes, relative to becoming the father of a son of promise in his old age, Abraham put his faith on God, on God's promises, and on God's power. Faith is always looking for a resting place. Some people today believe in faith. Faith in faith. I have faith in faith. That's useless. Some people have faith in themselves. That's pretty useless too. Abraham put his faith on God, put his faith on God's promises, and put his faith on God's power. We must do the same. We must do the same. We must put our faith on God, our faith on God's promises as found in his word, and our faith on God's power, unlimited power, omnipotent. There's nothing that your God is unable to do in consistency with his character. So do you put your faith on God, on faith, on God's promises, and on God's power as it relates to your pain, physical or emotional? Do you put your faith on God for your kids? Do you put your faith on God and his promises and power for your ministries, for your trials, for your finances? Do you put your faith on God and on God's promises and on God's power for your testimony to Christ in the community, for your sobriety, for your broken relationships? Do you put your faith on God, God's promises, and God's power for your purity if you're not married or if you are married? For your sufferings? For anxieties? Do you put your faith on God and his promises and power for your sorrows? For your worldview? Do you put your faith on God and God's promises and God's power for your country? For your health? For your eternity, do you put your faith on God, on God's promises, on God's power? I've met a young man since I've been here on the island. He usually is in need of food. And usually we try to help him with food. One time he said to me, my mommy, and I assumed that maybe his mommy or daddy died. So I'd never suggested to him that he go to his mommy to try to get some food. And I suggested once to him that that's what he ought to do. And he said, we're from the ghetto. She won't do anything for me. I said, could you trust God to change your heart? We're from the ghetto. She wouldn't do anything for me. I say, could you believe God? And every step you take towards your mommy's house, pray to God and ask God to change your mommy's heart if she's been indifferent to you, to give you, he wanted meat. That's specifically what he wanted. So I prayed with him that he would have the faith in God, the faith in God's promises to provide for his needs, the faith in God's power to change his mommy's heart, and that he would get some meat from a mummy he thought wrote off. He wrote her, he wrote her off. I don't know what happened. This is a recent development. I, I, I'm going to find out. But let's take it off this young man who needs food and a restore relationship with his mummy. What about you tonight? Is your faith on God? Is your faith on God's promises? And is your faith in God's power? That'll carry you through difficult times, lean times, troubling times. That'll carry you through positive and pleasant times. And that's the kind of faith to which we are called. 
by a God who is God, by a God who's made promises that he keeps, and by a God who has all the power there is to have in the universe. He spoke the universe into existence. When Jesus Christ comes the second time, Satan is released. Innumerable people side with Satan for the final attempt at a coup d'etat of heaven. It says that Jesus will annihilate them with the word of his mouth. No armies needed. No weapons of mass destruction needed with the word of his mouth. Trust him as God. Trust him in his promises as God and trust him in his power. So the first thing we're seeing here is faith's object is God, God's promise, and God's power. Secondly, faith's outcome. Verses 22 to 25. What is faith's outcome according to this passage? Let me read 22 to 25. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for the sake also to whom Uh, for the sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So what is faith's outcome according to these verses? Faith's outcome is credited righteousness. The happy outcome of having faith in Christ is to be credited with Christ's righteousness. This is also known as justification. Look at verse 24 one more time. But for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. The object of our faith is the very same God whom Abraham trusted. The very same God who is unchanging, transcendent, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniholy. The very same God who is love. This is the God who promises you, who trust in Christ alone, that he will save you, sparing you the penalty which your sins deserve, disengaging you from your fleshly living, engaging you in the doing of his will, granting you Christ's life, enlivening your dead spirit, setting you apart for God's possession and use. This is the same God who is affording you as you trust his son alone the setting apart of you for God's possession and use, the dispatching of you to be his empowered witnesses and ambassadors, the adopting of you into his forever family, the holding of a place for you in heaven, the not counting of your sins, which are many as are mine. This same God in salvation, as you trust his son, as he justifies you, is granting to you the indwelling Holy Spirit endowing you with at least one spiritual gift and making you forever a trophy of his grace. Have you ever been justified? Apart from your works, apart from religious rituals, apart from law-keeping, have you ever been justified? Ever been justified by transferring your faith and trust to Jesus Christ alone? I believe most all of us here tonight are in that category, gratefully. But if there would be anyone here tonight that needs justification, the Spirit of God has told you in your heart, you need to be justified. Admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Turn in your heart from sin. Transfer your trust from religion or self-effort to Christ and only Christ. Believe that God sent Jesus to die in your place to pay pay for your sins, and God raised his son to life to show you your sins are forgiven, and trust him and only him. Be born again. If that is your decision in prayer, I'd be honored to speak with you after the service to welcome you into God's family. Yeah, the golf swing, everything about it is opposite to what you might think. And the truth about being made right with God is largely the opposite of what actually is contributing to being made right with God. Works make zero contribution to justification. Religious rituals are worthless with respect to realizing justification. Law-keeping is a non-factor when it comes to justification because none of us keep the law. Faith in Christ alone has everything to do 
with God lavishing his grace on us, giving us his mercy, declaring us innocent, acquitting us in the courtroom of heaven. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your ways are far above our ways and that your thoughts are far above our thoughts. Lord, for the justified in Christ, I pray that you would loosen our lips to tell others about their need of justification and how they can be justified. And Lord, may we never get over the relief, the joy, the thanks when we consider that you look at our sins, though they be many, and you reckon that Jesus died for them. And therefore, you are free to lavish upon us as believers Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' character, Jesus' performance that we are accepted in the beloved. Lord, thank you that doctrine matters. Thank you that doctrine ought to dictate behavior. Lord, bless this congregation. Deepen our faith in you. Deepen our faith in your promises as found in your word. Increase our faith in your power. Lord, if we've come here tonight feeling that someone is beyond you to change, we come here tonight perhaps having concluded that a situation is just something you don't care about or you're not able to work in. Forgive us. Help us to trust in your power that nothing is impossible with you. Lord, thank you for your patience with the man in the pulpit. Thank you for your patience with my brothers and sisters in the pew. Dismiss us now with love for you and others. Dismiss us now with love for your word. Give us a good week of representing you and speaking up for you. May we see answered prayer this week. May we be able to lead someone to Christ this week. May we gain victory over besetting sin this week. May we just enjoy you this week, Lord. For we pray this in your holy and mighty name together. In God's family said, amen.